Tēnā koea, mai, haere mai, my name is Will Appleby and you're listening to Animal Matters. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has released its latest report, and it's not great. We have a lot to do, but New Zealand officials successfully lobbied against the use of plant-based terminology, which begs the question, did our officials miss the point? And Greyhound Racing is working harder than ever to improve their public appearance, to such an extent that they are excluding Aotearoa's leading animal welfare agency from their Animal Welfare Committee. Animal Matters is brought to you by Safe for Animals. We release new episodes every fortnight, so make sure you subscribe on Apple, Spotify or whatever your favourite podcast platform is. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at safe.org.nz forward slash animal matters. So last week, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or the IPCC, released their latest report, which, to put it bluntly, paints a bleak picture if we don't make some radical changes very quickly. The report says that the next few years are critical if we want to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels, which is the limit set out by the Paris Agreement in 2015. The IPCC's message to the globe is it's now or never, and the next few years are critical. To achieve that target of limiting global temperatures to 1.5 degrees requires global greenhouse gas emissions to peak before 2025 at the latest, and reduce by 43% by 2030. At the same time, methane would also need to be reduced by about a third. Even by doing this, it's almost inevitable that we'll exceed the 1.5 degree threshold, but we should be able to return below that temperature before the end of the century. Without those deep emissions reductions, it will be impossible to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees, which means more extreme weather events, heat waves, storms and widespread water shortages. So how well are we doing so far? Not great, to be honest. Even if all of the policies to cut carbon that governments had put in place by the end of 2020 were fully implemented, global temperatures would still warm by 3.2 degrees Celsius by the end of the century. This point does give us a glimmer of hope, however, which I'll come back to later. So we've got a lot to do, especially Aotearoa, which is one of the highest emitting countries on a per capita basis. Climate Change Minister James Shaw said we've basically fluffed around for three decades, which make these reductions far steeper than they would have been if we started sooner. Transport emissions is the big one. It makes up 20% of the country's emissions and they're still growing. But animal agriculture is a significant contributor. In fact, the majority of our emissions come from agriculture, and the dairy industry is the largest emitter of greenhouse gases. As I mentioned before, methane needs to reduce by a third, and the IPCC is encouraging people to move to consuming more plant-based foods. Agriculture emissions in Aotearoa haven't reduced, and the sector has done very well at putting off action on climate change. 
This is the year when final decisions need to be made on whether agriculture will be bought into the emissions trading scheme. Hewaka Ekenoa is the plan that the agriculture industry has embarked on to figure out an alternative to being included in the emissions trading scheme. Hewaka Ekenoa has been incredibly contentious, both within the agriculture sector and outside of it. Climate change activists have long been of the view that agriculture should be included in the ETS, and I tend to agree. But on the other side, groups like Groundswell don't want anything to do with Hiwaka Ikinoa. That schism has spilled out into the public sphere. Groundswell has been demanding a meeting with the Prime Minister for months, which Jacinda Ardern has repeatedly declined. Last month, though, the PM confirmed that she would meet with Groundswell leaders as part of a government and sector group meeting, which would include other industry lobby groups like Federated Farmers, Beef and Lamb and Dairy NZ. But Groundswell refused to meet in that forum, demanding again a one-on-one meeting with the Prime Minister. They are opposed to the more established lobby groups like Dairy NZ, Beef and Lamb, Federated Farmers, and they've called them the government's pet lobby groups, and they don't want to be in the same room as them. Dairy NZ went on to accuse Groundswell of misinformation, personal attacks, and political tricks. The meeting went ahead anyway, and now the PM has given up on trying to meet with Groundswell. The point I'm trying to make by articulating this industry squabbling is... It doesn't give me much confidence that the industry will be able to make any meaningful impact on climate change if they're left to their own devices. The IPCC is encouraging people to consume more plant-based products. While consumer behaviour is very important, it's not enough for Aotearoa, which exports most of its dairy products overseas. The dairy industry accounts for 22.4% of greenhouse gas emissions, and over 30 years, the industry's total emissions have grown at 132%. But while the IPCC report mentions plant-based more than 50 times, it was noticeably absent from the report's summary for policymakers. Now, this summary is hugely influential. Reports from the IPCC are often in excess of 3,000 pages. No one with a busy schedule has time to read the full report. So most decision makers read the summary for policymakers, and it's certainly the most read part of the report. The way this summary is prepared is subject to political influence. Three working groups prepare draft summaries which go through a review process before they're combined into a final draft. That final draft is reviewed and agreed upon at a four-day summit that's attended by government delegates and observer organisations. It was at this summit that officials from Aotearoa as well as Kenya and India successfully lobbied to remove references to plant-based foods and replace them with and I quote, balanced, sustainable, healthy diets. Essentially, they watered down the language that makes it easier for Aotearoa to avoid action on its biggest emitter for greenhouse gas emissions. Healthy diets and plant-based diets are two very different things. Skim milk is probably healthier than cheese and cream, but they're not nearly as sustainable as oat milk. 
It's pretty embarrassing for the climate change minister, James Shaw, who already looks weak on agriculture when the government decided to let the industry embark on Hiwaka Ekinoa to develop alternatives to the emissions trading scheme. And it wasn't that long ago that Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern said that climate change was her generation's nuclear-free moment, a reference to when former Labour Prime Minister David Lange banned nuclear-capable ships from New Zealand's territorial waters back in the 1980s, much to America's disgust. It seems now, though, that James Shaw has recognised how bad this looks. In a statement released over the weekend, which gave a technical explanation of why officials pushed for this language, he commented that, in his view, New Zealand should avoid adopting positions in these negotiations that could leave the impression that we're working to protect our largest industries at the expense of the climate. The minister will be sending a please explain to officials this week. Ultimately, what we need is radical change and a transition out of animal agriculture. And it's possible. The Netherlands has initiated a plan to assist farmers and reduce intensive animal agriculture. Farmers there will have access to a buyout scheme to either exit the industry or transition to more sustainable farming systems. Now, earlier I said that there's a glimmer of hope in the IPCC report. As mentioned earlier, the Paris Agreement set the limit for global temperatures to be no greater than 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. Already, with the warming we have today, hot places will get hotter, wet places wetter, and we'll see a higher frequency of extreme weather events. Warming beyond 2 degrees makes all of those extremes more extreme. We'll see more extreme weather events and many ecosystems under major pressure. If we have warming beyond 3 degrees, significant parts of the earth, especially in developing countries, may not be able to feed their populations. Heat waves will become a major issue. Large-scale natural systems will begin to break down. The scale and frequency of fires, droughts and hurricanes will further increase. Poor regions will be hit the hardest. In the 4 to 8 degree range, we basically have the apocalypse. We'd be unlikely to support the globe's large population. Billions may perish, leaving the rest on a hostile planet quite different to what we're used to. Now, a decade ago, scientists believed that a four plus degree world was our future, and a lot of public communication focused on exactly this path. But this latest IPCC report shows that given our current trajectory, the planets will likely warm to 3.2 degrees by the end of the century. Well, that's not great, but it's not horrifying. So we've already avoided the worst effects of climate change. The actions the globe has already taken means that we won't enter the apocalyptic outcomes by exceeding four degrees. That doesn't mean we're out of the woods, not by a long shot. There is a lot of work to do, and even exceeding three degrees would be very bad for the planet. But we shouldn't feel hopeless, because there is hope. We have already made a difference. We just need to continue pushing our leaders and decision makers because they need to do much, much more if we're going to turn the tide by 2025, which is what the IPCC told us last week that we need to do. Greyhound racing is facing an existential crisis and for good reason. 
Racing Minister Grant Robertson has said that if they do not make improvements by the end of this year, the industry could face closure. This has put Greyhound Racing New Zealand into crisis mode, and they're doing everything they can to clean up their image. But there's little evidence to suggest they're making a material improvement to the lives of dogs. Earlier this year, Greyhound Racing New Zealand launched a new website called Love Greyhounds. It's worth mentioning this was a slogan for SAFE's campaign last year, which supported the Greyhound Protection League's petition to ban greyhound racing. But I digress. The website seeks to tell positive stories from the greyhound racing industry. Interestingly though, last month they posted a video showcasing one of their trainers, Craig Roberts. To absolutely no one's surprise, Craig Roberts was fined $2,000 last year after his dog tested positive for banned substances. And at a time when the industry has been asked to be more transparent, they're sanitising their race videos when injuries occur. At Manawatu Raceway last month, a dog suffered a compound fracture after collapsing during a race. Normally you'd see these falls when the race video is published online, except this time the fall was edited out of the video. That dog was subsequently euthanised. And when you'd think the industry couldn't be any more brazen with their cover-ups and lack of transparency, Greyhound Racing New Zealand kicked the SBCA off their Animal Health and Welfare Committee. The SBCA has sat on that committee since 2016, and rightfully so considering they have expertise and a public interest in animal welfare. That committee has been reformed though, with the exclusion of the SBCA, and comments from Greyhound Racing New Zealand CEO suggests it's because SBCA are an advocacy organisation. She said the committee has a technical and scientific focus, rather than an advocacy focus. Hence SBCA's exclusion. SBCA scientific officer Dr Alison Vaughan said Greyhound Racing New Zealand is not looking for meaningful engagement to improve the welfare of greyhounds. She said it doesn't fill them with optimism that they are committed to transparency and animal welfare. Greyhound Protection League's Aaron Cross said the expulsion of the SBCA indicates greyhound racing is increasingly at odds with mainstream animal welfare. And it's not difficult to see this as an attempt to minimise criticism of an industry with increasing animal health and welfare concerns that are clearly not being addressed. The SPCA has expertise in animal welfare, and their removal from the committee is quite telling. That removal is a major step backwards, and shows blatant disregard for the government's call for the industry to act with transparency and prioritise animal welfare. The question remains is whether or not these underhanded tactics to improve the greyhound racing industry's public perception will work on the racing minister, when he must decide at the end of the year whether greyhound racing ought to be allowed to continue. Thank you for listening to Animal Matters. This podcast is brought to you by Safe for Animals, Aotearoa's leading animal rights organisation and produced by myself, Will Appleby. Make sure you subscribe to stay across Animal Matters on whatever your favourite podcast platform is. If you're listening on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners to find the show. Until next time, mā